So welcome to the CEDAR podcast around racism as it relates to diversity in the commercial mediation profession. Joining us today to discuss this topic are James South, Managing Director of CEDAR. James, welcome to the podcast. I'm in. And Tracy Fox, Mediator, Facilitator and Executive Coach with a background in clinical psychology. Welcome also to you, Tracy. Hi, Ben. So James, to start things off, why is it that we have to have a conversation around race as it relates to the mediation profession? Well, I think like everybody, uh, Ben, uh, Cedar and people staff at Cedar and our mediators and our trainers and consultants have been um, moved by some of the uh, issues which have been raised by the Black Lives Matters movement uh, and the death of George, George Floyd in the US uh, and the subsequent protests here in the UK. And, and again, like we are as a society, it's begun to get us to think about it. Uh, now, a lot of people, uh, colleagues have said, well, there's probably things that CEDAR can do and mediators can do to help uh, facilitate this conversation, which I think is true. But before we do that, I think it's important for us to look at ourselves and our own role as a field in perhaps uh, playing into systemic racism and, and perhaps sometimes the racist effect that uh, commercial media, mediation may have on parties, inadvertently, but it may be there. So I think, I think we should look at ourselves first before uh, talking with others about these topics. I um, think it's really interesting that we're even having this conversation. And I think from a personal perspective, it's made me realise that within my professional career, I actually have spent time minimising my race, not talking about race. And I suppose it's due to fear, really, and fear in highlighting race and highlighting differences that would actually look badly on me, I suppose. So I, I welcome the opportunity. Um, but, but of course, you know, and I, I can't see myself, but, but everyone can see me. And it's become more apparent um, as I've got older and, you know, throughout my career that my race is the first thing that people see and, and associations and judgments are made. So, so yes, in line with my own personal experiences and of course what's been happening this year, um, I, I think it's a really, um, I really welcome being able to have conversations about this because it matters. Yeah, and I think Ben, we've got to, in having these conversations, we've got to move away from the good, bad paradigm. Um, you know, it's not that if, if I do something which is racist, um, or recognise sometimes I may fall below the standard that's required, it doesn't make me a bad person. It just makes me human and I get it wrong and I have to, and I, and I need to recognise it. But if we always characterise some a racist effect as good or bad, then we can't move beyond and have a good conversation. So we have to move beyond that to be able to really examine it in an honest and open way and not get defensive about it. Because if you're labelled bad, you know, you, you, you defend. So we need to be open to it. Uh, just like we would teach others in, in mediation or, or in conflict resolution. I think that's a really good point, James, because I remember once I was in a, I was medi well, I was observing a mediator and um, at the end of the mediation, um, when, when the agreement was being written up, the party made a very, very um, obviously racist um, remark 
um, kind of obliviously. It was, it, was, it was just kind of thrown into the room and I didn't say anything at all. And um, the, the, the mediator and the council didn't, no one said anything. We were kind of frozen. And I thought, well, if I say something now, that will kind of probably make me a bad person, right? Because I'm raising what's happening or is the, is the individual a bad person? And I did believe they were not a bad person. They said a really bad thing. And I didn't say anything with the individual at the time, with the party, we spoke about it a little bit with the um, with the mediators afterwards. But I think really what I should have done, I wish I'd had the courage to do, was to find a way to say, you know, it's been great working with you today. Um, when you said ek, or have had a conversation with them about what was said, to kind of raise awareness. Because often people, sometimes people know, but often they don't know. And by helping to raise awareness and give information, that that helps me, that would help them to grow. And, um, and I suppose for me to feel that um, I've clarified um, the boundaries or the limitations or what it is that people say that can be um, taken, um, that can be offensive. Yeah, and that's a good demonstration, Tracy, I think of the idea of anti-racism, right? Anti-racism as compared to being non-racist. We all like to think we're non-racist, but that is, that, that is um, passive. It says, yeah. I'm not racist and that's okay. Um, but active anti-racism is taking that step that Tracy just indicated to actually confront the issue uh, in an appropriate way at the time. And, and otherwise it can't be addressed. People can't be aware of their behaviors and can't change them if they're not getting feedback. So that's again, thinking about anti-racism compared to non-racism because also non-racism used, I'm not racist, feeds back into the good bad paradigm, which isn't helpful to us. So I think that's the basis Tracy and I want to have that conversation today. And hopefully these conversations will carry on uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. So now actually moving on to, to look at the commercial mediation um, profession itself. How did we get to where we are right now in terms of the lack of diversity, lack of racial and ethnic diversity? Well, I mean, I think I'd like to start with going back to what the, the, the starting point for mediation. You know, you go right back to the 70s. Mediation was about, came about because of access to justice, because people were being denied the right to have access to justice. So the intention was that those groups, and you know, a lot of them were um, some of the, the groups in terms of uh, race, ethnicity, gender as well, were being denied access to justice. So the whole movement's predicated on that. Um, so it's interesting to me that in some aspects of mediation, and I think particularly commercial mediation, uh, we've fallen short in respect of uh, diversity and gender too, but also particularly in relation uh, to race. And there's, I think there's reasons for that, uh, which are interesting for us to have a look at now. In my experiences, I can count on one hand how many times I have um, engaged with um, black uh, counsel um, representing clients in mediation. And, and I've been mediating for for a very long time, actually, much longer than I would care to admit. And, um, and I always found it really interesting how I never really saw people that looked like me, I suppose, in this field when I know that, you know, black and Asian lawyers are, you know, are, are um, you know, are, are, are present, are engaged, are, you know, credible and professional. And I remember a couple of years ago, I actually spoke to one of the councils afterwards, the mediation, he expressed an interest in mediating. And I, and I actually said to him, it's, um, you're one of the few black barristers that I've come across in mediation. And he said, well, you know why that is, don't you? And I said, well, no, why? And he said, it's because um, 
black barristers get pushed into um, crime as opposed to commercial. So from the outset, there are bar- I suppose there are barriers to entry, um, and it made me th- and it made me think. Well, actually, I, I can see how that would. Um, how that makes sense, because I believe that there are um, many black me- or m- many more black mediators in the field of community mediation or in um, employment, for instance, um, and possibly family. I can't really speak for that with with you know with a lot of conviction, but certainly within the the commercial space, there are very few. So um, there, there's clearly um, you know differences that are taking place and barriers um, uh, along the line. I mean, I think that's clear. And I mean, if you now focus in on commercial mediation and why that difference exists between the other fields of, say, family, community, uh, and, um, and say, employment and workplace. I mean, I think it's because the commercial space is and was historically very white dominated uh, and white male dominated predominantly. So you, know, you think about it, and from and I'm thinking about it recently. I just did a podcast with Carl and Eileen, who are the co-founders of Cedar, talking about how Cedar got started, and and the key things to get momentum in a field that didn't exist back in the '90s was they needed to influence key stakeholders. So in the commercial field, who were the key stakeholders? The key stakeholders were the judiciary, mainly white, senior business leaders at the time, mainly white, uh, and senior members of the legal profession, mainly white. Uh, and so it's not surprising that, you know, Cedar and others who are trying to get momentum focused in, on this demographic. Uh, and of course, what then resulted was that those people who managed to convince, Cedar can manage to convince, they trained as mediators, they did mediation, um, and they were part of awareness raising. So they then became the first wave uh, of mediators and people involved in the field. And so there was a sense of perpetuation of the inbuilt bias towards uh, white males at the time um, in, in the field. So that's not good or bad, it's just, it just was, and just that's the way it developed. But I think things are moving on, and that's why we need to have this, this conversation. Is there a big drive coming now from parties and mediators who are wanting mediators who represent society more broadly or look like them. It's not, it's not just that we need to influence the sort of lawyers and the judiciary now. It's parties in mediation who are demanding this greater diversity. Yeah, and I mean, when I, I, I believe I use that phrase as well, look like them. I mean, what I mean, so an example of that is, sorry, just to, to, to qualify that, it doesn't mean that I'm mediating with, you know, black women parties, I'm, I'm, I'm asked to, I was asked to mediate a case where the person, where one of the parties um, was an Asian male. Um, so, you know, obviously we are not the same, but, but what unites us is the fact that we were not white and it was felt in that mediation that they needed someone um, who was not white to be mediating because of the, um, the racial tensions that the individual had been experiencing. But you're right, Ben. I think um, part of the reason we're looking at this is because our client base has changed. Uh, and, you know, there are much more people, uh, black people, Asian people in positions of influence. Clearly, the conversation is much more explicit now, as we've just been discussing. Uh, and, the, you know, as you've said, businesses and organisations are much more aware of diversity and have requirements to diversity. I had a conversation recently with Susanna Schuler, a director of training, who was telling me that in terms of putting together a training 
uh, proposal, they were required to say specifically how they were going to address issues around diversity, both in terms of gender and in terms of race. Uh, so things are shifting, and that, that will, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar shift in relation to provision of mediation services from the clients and the law firms in, in years to come, because that's going to be required of us, I think. And looking at Cedars, um, from Cedars' perspective, as a commercial mediation provider, is it that we need to look into diversity and inclusion more firstly because it's the right thing to do because everyone has the right to excel if they because of their talent and shouldn't be excluded because of any other reason? But the CEDAR needs to be able to offer clients the best possible talent. And by not engaging in this conversation, we're potentially excluding our clients from having ex- access to that talent. Yes to both. <laughs> um, yeah, we're an organisation which believes in thought leadership and innovation. Uh, and so, and we want to be altruistic and and do what's right, but also we're an organisation which relies on our on funds to be able to do that, and therefore we need to satisfy the needs of the clients. And the clients are more diverse, and therefore we need to have a mediator base to reflect that diversity. Okay, so we've discussed um, racism in sort of the macro sense in terms of commercial mediation. Now, if we could dive down into some of the more um, specific elements of the mediation process. James, is it that we're seeing implicit unconscious bias or is it more systemic racism? Look, I, I mean, I think this is important to me to, for us to be open about this um, because you know, mediation operates on a set of principles, a dogma, if you like. Uh, and that sometimes that, if you have that dogma, it can be protected from, it's, it's, it's prevented as truth and it's protected from challenge. And I think we need to have a look about look at it in, in, in some detail, because I think there is some unconscious bias in the way the system is structured. So, you know, I, I do wonder whether, because me, commercial mediation is part of the commercial world, which as we've discussed, uh, is mainly white, uh, whether that, that flowed into some form of systemic bias within the mediation process itself. So let me give you an example. I mean, the whole idea of the mediator as a neutral I think it, it, at times obscures the potential for racial bias in the mediation process. Uh, so, you know, I have heard mediators say, um, you know, I don't see race, I treat everybody equally. Uh, you know, I'm neutral and don't have an impact on the outcome of the dispute. But experienced mediators know, Tracy, you and I know that of course we have an influence on the outcome of the dispute. So if, if, the, if, we, do, if we are aware of that and we do have implicit bias, be it to, to race in this instance, then of course that's going to have an impact on the mediation and may have an impact on the parties. And if we're not open about the potential for that, then we really, you know, it obscures the potential for that bias to unfairly skew the process, I think. I, I agree with you, James. And I suppose I, from my perspective as a, as a black woman going into mediate disputes, what I have seen if, if the, the parties are of different races is that, um, uh, I, and I'm not looking for this, but I see it with the micro expressions in, in the parties. So I'll, I'll perhaps go and see the black party first and it's and everything's fine and normal. And then or, and then when I, when I see that the white party, there is, there's, there's a flicker of surprise, um, slight maybe paranoia. There's a concern. There's a concern which is about 
the color of my skin and how neutral and impartial I will be. So what that does for me when I see it and I recognize it, and I said, I'm not looking for it, but if I get a hint of that, I realize that I have to actually pedal that little bit harder to build rapport and demonstrate the neutrality and impartiality so that they, so that from the outset and throughout the mediation, they believe that I am on their I'm working equally hard for them as I am for the other party who happens to be the same race as myself. But yes, my behavior will be different um, in the context of creating a safe pace for both parties, but I have to see the race and the impact of my race in that dynamic. And if you flip it, Tracy, if you put a white person and play me into that mediation, yeah. you know, then the white person wouldn't blink, right? <laughs> they wouldn't blink when I went into the room. But, I, but if I go into the other room with a black person and say, well, I don't see race, I don't, you know, I'm not aware of it or, or I'm not open to the idea that I may be having a negative impact on the black person and that they may, they may start and think, oh, I thought you were going to be uh, black and you're, you're white, uh, then I miss the potential for someone feeling uncomfortable, yes. uh, in this case, the black person, yeah. and I miss the potential for the, the power imbalances which exist. Yes. And I think that's the other thing which is interesting to me is commercial mediation don't spend much time thinking about power imbalance because uh, we have, you know, so well, it doesn't exist, we have lawyers, et cetera, et cetera, commercial parties having the right to make a decision. Whereas in going back to your point earlier on, in, in family mediation, community mediation, workplace mediation, much more focus is given on, on power imbalances and how the mediators need to be conscious of, of that and, and interact to redress balance. And we don't in the commercial field spend much time on that. I think we're missing a trick because uh, that's one way of addressing the unconscious bias uh, towards race in the system. When we look at the mediation process, if we take if we take a step back and look at actually the process of becoming a mediator and being appointed as a mediator, what kind of obstacles do we see in this in this area when it comes to diversity and race? It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because on, I, I've seen requests where. Um, parties have asked specifically for a BAME mediator. I have to say, I, I don't, I'm not very fond of that term, but yeah, a BAME mediator. Therefore, because I am BAME, I fit. Um, um, and I can't, I appreciate it, but I also don't appreciate it in a way I would like to be appointed on, you know, on, the, on my merits. But also I, I am appointed um, just because of who I am and what I bring. So that's what's really important to me, regardless of, of the colour of my skin. And I believe that um, because um, there is, particularly this year, I think, this year has been a really incredible year with regards to raising awareness of um, maybe our own people's internal racial prejudices and biases and trying to understand and really just recognizing that, you know, people are people regardless of the color of your skin. I think that there is much more access and opportunity and a willingness, I believe, um, to appoint and engage with people who um, who are black, basically, um, you know, who were non-white and wanting um, a, more, more of a diversity of um, background, approach, um, because as we said in the beginning, our, our client base is expanding, you know, CEDA is very much a global organisation working with um, so many um, different types of organisations and and the, the, the populations of those organisations have different needs to what we um what we may have looked for in the beginning. So likewise, the mediators have to be able to be a good match and fit with the individuals in conflict. Uh, but I think, you know, the CEDA uh, Foundation did a uh, study on diversity um, generally in the field. I mean, we know that our panels 
uh, uh, insufficient, you know, insufficiently diverse in terms of gender, race, uh, and, and and other areas of, of diversity as well. Um, and the reason for that, you know, is, is quite clear. We did run the statistics, but you know, we have a, a high percentage of, say, um, you know, black and Asian and other uh, ethnic groups coming onto the courts, as we do with women. Um, but they, don't, they drop out through the process of them becoming a mediator, getting experience, getting on the panels, and then getting appointed. So again, throughout the process of becoming a mediator and getting appointments, um, there are issues there which are screening people out. And we're trying to look at those barriers and address them um, so that you know, we, we can you know, move towards a, a much more diverse panel to, to address the the, the client's needs, as Tracy said, uh, but it, it is it's, it's something which we have to actively do. Going back to my point earlier, we can't just sit back and expect it to happen because it clearly won't. Now, looking at the future, what is it that we need to do, or what should we be looking to do around this issue of diversity and race? Um, well, I, I think what we should be doing is what we're actually doing now. To be honest, um, you know, it, with regards to having conversations about this and understanding. Why, why do we want to make things better? Why is there a difference and how will it benefit um, individuals, who, you know, black individuals, white individuals, society as a whole? That's why CEDA exists, right? It's, you know, better conflicts, better people, better world. So I think as long as we can keep talking about this and finding a way to um, raise awareness, open doors really, and to be accessible, then I think, um, I, I think that we're going to see things um, dramatically, um, uh, I don't want to say change, but th there will literally be more, more variety, more diversity, more choice, um, and hopefully, you know, more creativity and, and ideas around, you know, how to resolve conflicts. I think it's an evolution, isn't it, Tracy? As you say, it's an evolution and it's a natural evolution and recognizing the past was what it was for a reason. Uh, things have changed and now, you know, we have a responsibility as, as people in the field uh, to 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 be proactive in making that change, and you know, I, I have the pleasure. Tracy and I have discussed these topics before, and and from a, my perspective as a as a white person, I mean, it's in some respect liberating to be able to have an open conversation around the, around the topic. So I think that's important. But as an organisation, I think CEDA uh, has a responsibility too to take this seriously and be proactive. Uh, and as managing director, I'm committed to that. Uh, there's things that we are doing, so we're looking at. We are auditing our mediation training course to see if there's implicit biases, both in terms of race and gender, for example, in our assessment process and our competencies and our materials, which is the starting point of the journey. We're also looking at you know, how we, our selection process on panels and making sure that we, we take into account diversity in our selection process for coming on panels and then clearly in putting mediators forward uh, to clients uh, making sure that we, we're, we're a conscious of unconscious bias in that respect, and also now working with uh, developing a pledge in this respect on diversity uh, to get the law firms to, and to sign up to being taking this into account when selecting mediators. So right through the, the, the chain, if you like, from becoming a mediator to getting appointed, we're trying to do work to break down the barriers. Bringing the podcast back to an anecdote that Tracy shared at the start around a comment uh, a particular person made within a mediation and how nobody stood up, put their head above the parapet and was brave enough to challenge it. It'd be good to get both of your perspectives on that. To what extent does this change need to come from within? And when I say within, I mean 
um, groups of, say, white men challenging each other on um, comments and jokes, offhand remarks that are not acceptable. What do you think about that as a sort of um, catalyst for change? I think it's absolutely crucial, Ben. Um, and, and I have been in the case situations as a mediator where I have challenged a party because of unacceptable comments um, where I needed to because I thought that was an obstacle to settlement. And that's easier for a mediator to deal with. I guess the more difficult one for a mediator is when it's done ancillary to the settlement of the dispute. And mediators, I think, don't challenge it because they don't want to damage the rapport with the party. But I think we've got to find a way to, to give the feedback to a party who makes an inappropriate comment without it necessarily impacting on our rapport. But I think we do need to be braver, in my view, as white, as white people uh, to, to, to put our head above the power curve, as you, you framed it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because within CEDAR, a lot of our work is, you know, a lot of my work, James's work, is teaching people to have difficult conversations. And I think, you know, um, regardless of how skilled you are, difficult conversations can always be difficult. Um, it just so happens that having a difficult conversation about race is an additional layer of complexity, which has meant for me personally, kind of avoiding bringing that dynamic into the difficult conversation. But I believe that there is now much more of a shift and an, ex an acceptance of having the conversation on race, such a taboo that makes it less difficult than it was before. So, um, so yes, I, I think it's very much my responsibility with my skill set, with our skill sets as mediators, at least, to trust that we can have those conversations and that, that, will, that, that they will land well. Tracy, James, thank you very much for your time today.